0: This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Fellow coffee lovers and friends, welcome back to our series on coffee and your health. Before we discuss more about your health today and really get into the heart of the topic of this episode, I really want to encourage you to subscribe to the Roast and Reason podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcast. Just hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Uh, There's also a follow button on Spotify if you listen to the podcast there. And also, if I could leave a plug for you guys to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast. If it's possible to leave a review there, that would be awesome. And now with that out of the way, let's get to our show today. And on this episode, we are going to explore the scientific evidence and what the scientific research tells us about coffee's impact on several of the big diseases some of the most common causes of death in the developed world. And I'm talking about heart disease. And when I say heart disease on this episode, I'm going to lump several things into a big, broad category. So what I'm talking about are heart attacks, heart failure, vascular disease, and stroke. I'm going to lump them all together. We're also going to talk about diabetes, another Big problem in the developed world and a big cause of death. We're going to finish with the concept of aging and of longevity. In other words, how long we live if we die an early death. Are there studies that look at the impact of coffee consumption and these things? And the answer is yes, and we'll get to all of that during this episode. And, you know, when it comes to longevity, with some of the promising Beneficial results that we've already talked about in previous episodes on this series and more that we're going to get into today. Is it possible that coffee may, in fact, help us live longer? And let's find out. So, before I get into the actual diseases and research today, I thought I would start this episode with the likely mechanism at play when it comes to heart disease, diabetes. and and several topics from prior episodes in this series, like cancer and brain diseases. From the best we can tell at this point, coffee's beneficial effects appear to mostly stem from the antioxidant effects of the number of antioxidant compounds found in coffee. So we really aren't talking about the effects of caffeine here. Caffeine obviously does affect our bodies, It really plays a big role in exercise and improved exercise performance, as well as improved mental performance and awareness. But when it comes to a lot of the health benefits, most of these appear to come from the antioxidant effects of numerous other chemicals in coffee. So antioxidants are chemicals that help prevent what's called the oxidation process. And coffee has a huge number of these antioxidants, probably the most commonly discussed and the one that you are going to come across most often is called chlorogenic acid. It's abbreviated CGA. But there are many, many more. Nicotinic acid, quinilic acid, tannic acid, so on and so forth. And we've discussed some of these antioxidants and this chemical reaction and process called oxidation in previous episodes. But let's briefly review it again here. And this is the last time I'll do this, I promise. So this oxidation process is a normal chemical reaction that occurs all around us and within our bodies all the time. This is the same chemical reaction that causes iron to rust. So basically, one way to think about it is our bodies... And our organs and our cells are rusting all the time. But instead of turning red, like iron does as it rusts, this reaction in our bodies manifests as things like aging, wrinkles, declining mental and physical ability, and multiple diseases. So that's our human body way of rusting or way of responding to the oxidation process. And I mentioned that this oxidation process is occurring literally all the time in our body. Chemicals called reactive oxygen species are formed as a natural byproduct during the normal cellular metabolism of oxygen. And when I say metabolism here, I don't mean it in the commonly used sense related to digesting food or related to, I have a high metabolism, so I'm thin. That's not what I'm talking about. Metabolism in our cells happens all the time, and it's our cells' way of generating energy to do what they need to do, to produce hormones, to produce chemicals, to produce proteins, to repair DNA damage. That is the metabolism that we're talking about on the cellular level. So these reactive oxygen species are produced as a byproduct of this type of metabolism. And at very low levels, they actually serve a purpose. So they play an important role in cell signaling and in our immune system. But at chronically elevated levels, these compounds lead to disease, early aging, and death. So, what are these reactive oxygen species exactly? Here are some examples peroxide, like hydrogen peroxide, superoxide, hydroxyl radical, and singlet oxygen. Those are some specific reactive oxygen species. Do you need to know that? No, but I thought I'd throw that in there. So there are more than one of these reactive oxygen species. And these chemicals belong to a larger group of compounds that are called free radicals. And they're the most important of the free radicals when it comes to biological systems. And our body, obviously, is a biological system. And I'm sure you have heard of free radicals. I'm sure you have heard of antioxidants. Free radicals and these reactive oxygen species are atoms or molecules that have one or more unpaired electrons. So they've basically lost an electron. They're they're missing one of their electrons. And when you're missing an electron as a compound or as an atom, you're unstable. You have an unstable charge. And since these molecules are unstable, they basically run around and try to steal an electron from any other molecule that they run into. And the reason why they want to do that is when they steal that electron, they all of a sudden become stable. So that is what leads to the reactions, the chemical reactions that free radicals cause. And they will literally steal these electrons from anything, from anything they run into, including things like our DNA, fatty acids in our cells, proteins, enzymes, and cofactors that are needed for normal cellular and organ and body function. And so when they do that, When they steal those electrons, they can alter the normal functioning and signaling of healthy cells and of our body. And this is the cellular and molecular basis of inflammation, of aging, and of many diseases, like we've already talked about cancer and brain diseases. And the same is true for heart disease and high blood pressure. Inflammation plays a large role in both of these entities. And this is how. So antioxidants, as a big class, these are chemicals that help us combat this process. So they're kind of like our allies in this, in this fight against free radicals. And they do this by either preventing free radicals from forming in the first place or by neutralizing them, by finding them and basically terminating them and neutralizing them. So they're really our partner in this process. So this is the process, and these antioxidant compounds are what we're talking about when we're discussing coffee's health benefits. And it's not unique to coffee, right? There's a lot of things that have antioxidants in them. Tea, green tea, red wine, multiple other foods. So it's not just coffee, but coffee does, in fact, have a very high concentration of antioxidants in it. So now that we've discussed the mechanism, and again, I know that we've talked about this in brief before, but I wanted to highlight it because it's really at play in coffee's impact on all of the diseases that we'll talk about today. Now we're going to jump into some specific diseases or some specific groups of diseases. And let's begin with the broad category Of cardiovascular or vascular or heart disease. So historically, coffee was actually thought to increase the risk of certain diseases, namely heart disease and high blood pressure. And this primarily has to do with the fact that caffeine is a stimulant. And at very high doses, caffeine can in fact cause a temporary but significant increase in blood pressure. And th- these early studies showed this. And since high blood pressure over time can lead to an increased risk of heart heart disease including heart attacks and stroke, it was assumed that coffee consumption was bad and increased the risk of these events. But this isn't actually true, and here's why. So This acute temporary phenomenon, this acute temporary increase in blood pressure is different from the chronic elevated blood pressure that can lead to heart attacks or stroke. So when you give someone very high caffeine levels or very high caffeine content in coffee or a caffeine pill, their blood pressure will go up, but it will quickly go back to normal or their normal. And that's very different than having a chronically elevated blood pressure. And I alluded to this, but these researchers in this early research didn't actually study coffee. They studied caffeine. So they actually gave research participants caffeine pills at high levels, not coffee. And as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of other chemicals in coffee that help prevent inflammation and high blood pressure and heart disease. So this really doesn't look at coffee's impact. This looks at caffeine pills' impact. A lot of new research that has actually focused on coffee itself paints a very different picture than what we previously assumed. It turns out that drinking coffee is actually associated with a decreased risk of high blood pressure, not an increased one there was a large meta-analysis study. And a meta-analysis, think of it as a combination of multiple previous smaller studies. So it combines the results of multiple previous smaller studies, analyzes the data, and comes up with a broader uh, result, if you will. So there was a large meta-analysis published in 2017. It looked at a total of 205,349 participants or study subjects. So that's a lot of people. And it included seven different studies. When all of this data was analyzed and evaluated, there was actually a 1% decreased risk of high blood pressure for each cup of coffee you drink a day. Meaning, if you drink five, five cups, you decrease your risk by 5%. If you drink one, you decrease it by 1%. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if coffee doesn't cause high blood pressure and it may actually decrease the risk, and that's a dramatic shift in the previous mentality that we had, that's huge. We worry about high blood pressure in general because over time, chronic increased blood pressure can cause inflammation of the artery walls and eventually contribute to things like stroke and heart attack. So, For the most part, high blood pressure itself doesn't kill you, but it increases the risk of things that do kill you. But coffee's impact on heart health isn't just about high blood pressure. So this study was very promising. It debunks a lot of the myths that we've had previously about coffee causing high blood pressure and indicates that it actually may help decrease the risk of high blood pressure. But there are are more studies out there on other things other than just high blood pressure on things like heart disease. And again, early studies can be misleading here. Early research actually suggested a link between coffee consumption and heart disease, not just high blood pressure. But these early studies had major, major problems. And probably the biggest problem that they had was that the researchers failed to account for other things, namely smoking. So when better, more recent research came out that actually controlled for smoking and other confounding variables, this initial reported link between heart disease and coffee disappeared. And not only that, it didn't just disappear. Researchers of these newer studies began to uncover unexpected benefits of coffee. For example... When researchers recently reanalyzed data contained in what was called the Framingham Heart Study. So the Framingham Heart Study is a massive study that's been tracking the health and exercise and eating habits for over 15,000 people since the 1940s. So it has tracked multiple people over multiple generations. Researchers went back and reanalyzed that data and they found something remarkable. So, in this large population of people over a very long period of time, these researchers actually found that coffee consumption reduced the risk of coronary artery disease, i.e. heart attack, of heart failure, and of stroke. The reduced risk was directly tied to the amount of coffee that people drank. For every 8-ounce cup, of person they can cons- every eight-ounce cup a person consumed per day, they had a 5% reduced risk for coronary artery disease, a 7% decreased risk for heart failure, and their risk of stroke was reduced by 8%. These are massive. I'd like to point one other thing out. So the Framingham Heart study has contributed to a lot of what we currently know about heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, chronic health conditions, and the effect of diet and exercise. We really didn't know a lot of what we know now prior to the study. And there have been literally hundreds of peer-reviewed scientific articles produced just by looking at the data of the study. And now there's a really impressive one in the works about coffee showing these effects another recent study showed similar results to this one that reanalyzed the Framingham heart study data. And this other study showed that coffee drinkers were less likely to actually die from a heart attack or heart disease compared to non-coffee drinkers. So not only are you at a decreased risk as a coffee drinker of having one of these events, you're at a decreased risk of dying from them. So In this study, there was a decreased risk of dying from cardiovascular disease, which was 19% lower, a decreased risk of dying from a heart attack, 16% lower, and up to a 30% lower risk of dying from a stroke. I hope all of you realize how potentially incredible these results are. So I'll warn you that we're still in the early stages of research about coffee consumption and heart disease. But some of the commonly prescribed medications that we prescribe in the medical community don't even reduce the risk of stroke by 30%. And they cost a whole hell of a lot more than drinking a couple cups of coffee a day. And they're not nearly as delicious. So if further evidence comes out and is reproducible, that coffee actually decreases these risks by this amount, it's massive. But for the sake of time, I could talk about a couple other studies, but for the sake of time, let's move on. They all kind of show the same thing that we just talked about. And let's jump to one of the other major killers out there, which is diabetes. So you will typically hear of two types of diabetes. There's type 1 and type 2. Let's start with type 1. Type 1 diabetes is occasionally referred to as insulin-dependent diabetes or juvenile diabetes since it commonly occurs in younger people. This is an autoimmune disease. So the immune system in type 1 diabetes attacks certain cells in the pancreas and these cells produce insulin. That's their primary job. They produce insulin for us. The end result is that this damaged pancreas can't produce insulin anymore. And so these people require insulin injections or an insulin pump to provide them with the hormone insulin so that they can normally modulate their blood glucose levels. There isn't much research out there about coffee and type 1 diabetes. Probably, well, because I don't know many five-year-olds that drink coffee. So it would probably be pretty difficult to study and also, it's, it's a relatively uncommon disease. So the vast majority of the time when you see medications for diabetes or, or comments about it in the popular media or on, on TV commercials, they're actually talking about type 2 diabetes, not type 1. And there is considerable and very interesting research on the effect of coffee consumption and type 2 diabetes. So like I said, type 2 is much, much, much more common than type 1 diabetes, as in like 95 to 97% of all cases of diabetes. About 26 million Americans have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. This is a massive health condition. This used to be called adult onset diabetes, but we don't really call it that anymore and that's not really correct. And the reason why is there's a big connection with obesity. And with the epidemic of childhood obesity, we have actually started to diagnose large number of children and teenagers with this entity. So it's no longer really called adult-onset diabetes. With type 2, at least early on, the pancreas is still able to make insulin. Instead, the problem is with where insulin is supposed to work, not with where it's made in the pancreas. And it's supposed to work in the fat cells, the liver cells, and the muscle cells. So insulin signals those cells to store blood glucose, to take the sugar out of the blood and to store it for later use. So in this condition, the body or these cells is resistant to insulin. And so it requires a higher level of insulin for the body to function normally. So it basically revs up insulin production in the pancreas. And over a long period of time, the pancreas can actually burn out and stop making insulin. So they kind of become like type 1 diabetics as well. So I mentioned that there's some really interesting research on coffee and type 2 diabetes. But, but what does this research actually show? Much like with heart disease and stroke, coffee, it seems, actually has a protective effect against diabetes. And the mechanism here isn't entirely clear. I'll admit this. I I don't really know how this works and and researchers don't seem to either. But the effect is seen with both regular coffee and decaf coffee. So it's probably the same anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects that we've talked about earlier. It's unclear to me how these anti-inflammatory effects work in terms of prevention of diabetes. It's unclear if it works at the level of the pancreas, preventing it from burning out, or it somehow prevents the development of insulin resistance it's it's probably some sort of anti-inflammatory effect on preventing insulin resistance, but this is really going to have to be worked out in future research, and people are going to have to look into this further so we really understand what's going on. But here's what the data shows that we have now, and these studies are big. So some of these studies have over 100,000 study participants in it. During the largest study on coffee consumption and and diabetes, increasing your daily coffee consumption by one cup a day. So if you go from one to two, two to three, whatever it is, by one cup a day, you, it was associated with an eleven percent decreased risk of developing diabetes over the course of this of the study. And let's take it on the flip side. What about people who cut back their coffee intake? Because I I mentioned earlier that. We previously thought that coffee intake at high levels might actually be bad. So some people might have cut back because they thought it was better for their health or just wanted to cut back their coffee intake. What happened with those people? Well, they actually had a 17% increased risk of developing diabetes. So the point here is in that these early observational studies we're We're looking at large numbers of people, and we're we're looking at pretty damn impressive numbers again we're not this isn't a randomized control study I'm not suggesting causation there's there's some holes that you can poke in these studies, but they're big they've they follow people over a long period of time, and the numbers coming out are really really impressive so far so let's jump to the last topic that we're going to talk about, which is aging and longevity. These are two different but related things. So let's tackle aging first. The normal aging process is very, very complex, and it's something that we don't frankly fully understand at this point. And what do I mean by aging? I mean, yes, the signs that you can see, the wrinkles, the saggy skin, yes, all of that. But also, there's a normal physical, and cognitive decline with aging. So I'm talking about all of that. There is one major theory and mechanism of aging, and that is the oxidation process and oxidation stress. There are obviously other things at play, but it is thought that oxidation plays a pretty large and significant role in aging. So we've already talked about this. We've already talked about how the anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects in coffee can decrease this oxidation and oxidation stress process. So there's a clear possible mechanism for how coffee and its antioxidant effects may help slow the aging process. There's not a lot of studies out there on specific signs of aging, wrinkles, and coffee consumption. There's not a lot of research out there. But there is research that we've already talked about on cognitive decline in things like Alzheimer's disease. And there's also quite a bit of research out there with coffee consumption and aging's cousin, if you will, which is longevity. So with all that we've talked about in terms of coffee consumption and cancer, heart disease, brain disease, and more, does coffee actually help us live longer, right? Because that's what we really want to do. I mean, we want to prevent some of these diseases in order to live longer. So let's go back to the research. There are three very large studies that I'm going to talk about here, okay? These three studies have examined the relationship between drinking coffee and longevity, or or the opposite of that, which is early death. There are two studies that were recently published in the Annals of Internal Medicine in 2017. So these two studies were titled Coffee Drinking and Mortality in 10 European Countries, a multinational cohort study. And the second one was titled Association of Coffee Consumption with Total and cause-specific mortality among non-white populations. So let's look look at both of these. The European study followed 521,330 study participants, and the second study, the U.S. study, the the non-white population study, followed 185,855 participants, among numerous different ethnic groups. So it followed white people, but it also followed numerous other ethnic groups as well. Both studies followed this massive number of people for over 16 years. These are incredibly large studies. The follow-up period was ridiculously long. I cannot even imagine how much these studies cost to run or the infrastructure that had to be built to run these studies and to follow up with these people. These are pretty impressive studies. So these studies showed that coffee drinkers had a lower risk of dying during the 16-year study compared to non-coffee drinkers. The reduced risk was up to 18% and highest in heavy coffee drinkers. And they defined heavy coffee drinkers as more than four cups a day. A reduced risk of dying of up to 7% was also seen in people who drank just one cup of coffee a day. And again, this will be a theme. The beneficial results are the same comparing both regular and decaf coffee. So again, caffeine itself is not the key here. But at the same time, I personally like caffeinated coffee and I don't really understand the point of decaf coffee. So the other conclusion that this says to me is it's just as healthy to drink normal coffee as it is decaf. So keep on drinking it. And there's another important finding with these studies. If you look at the European study, they found the same results among all 10 European studies or all 10 European countries that they looked at in this study. Similarly, in the American study, they found the same results in every single ethnic group that they looked at. So these results are generalizable, meaning it's not the coffee doesn't have this effect just on one ethnic group or one cultural group. It's across the board. A similar decreased risk of death was reported in another recent article. This one was titled. Coffee consumption and health, umbrella review of meta-analysis of multiple health outcomes. In this study, researchers from the University of Southampton performed a, an umbrella review. So an umbrella review is a specific type of analysis. And it's we talked about meta-analysis before, which is kind of a, a collection of multiple prior, smaller studies. An umbrella review is a collection of meta-analyses. So it's kind of a collection of collection. It allows you to study a huge number of people over multiple other studies. So they combine all of this data from previously published studies. Here are the results from this large umbrella analysis. They found that coffee consumption was associated with a 10% decreased risk of death by all causes. The largest benefit happened, again, in heavier coffee drinkers. So they they noticed the largest benefit in people that drank three cups of coffee a day. I don't personally view that as a heavy coffee drinker, but that's what, that's what they defined it as. But these guys actually found a benefit, even in people that drank up to seven cups a day. So if you truly are a heavy coffee consumer out there and you're worried about it affecting your health in a negative way, the study suggests that as long as you're feeling okay and not having irregular heartbeats or anything like that, you're probably okay. So. I mentioned this before, but it's it's worth bringing these numbers back up because they're pretty impressive. And these are this study is where some of these numbers came from before, so I'm going to highlight them again. Compared to people who didn't drink coffee, coffee drinkers were less likely to die from heart disease. And these benefits included a 19 percent decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, 16 percent decreased risk of heart attack, death. And 30% decreased risk of death from a stroke. Coffee drinkers in this study, in this umbrella analysis study, also had a decreased risk of dying from things like liver cancer, prostate cancer, endometrial cancer, melanoma, and oral cancer. And some of those cancers were what we already talked about back in the episode about coffee and cancer. So, my friends, We are nearing the end of this series of this episode and of this series about coffee and your health. So let's recap what we've covered in this coffee and your health series here on the podcast. Based on the current cutting edge research, coffee has the following effects on your health. Number one, Decreased risk of dying from all causes, including a decreased risk of death from heart disease, cardiovascular disease, stroke, and a handful of cancers. Number two, improved cognitive and physical or exercise performance. Number three, decreased risk of brain diseases like depression, Alzheimer's disease, and Parkinson's disease. Number four, Decreased risk of liver cancer and endometrial cancer and several other cancers like oral cancer. Number five, decreased risk of liver disease, such as fatty liver disease and cirrhosis, as well as gallstones. And we didn't talk about this specifically on the podcast, but this research is out there. And number six, a decreased risk of diabetes heart disease, cardiovascular disease, and stroke. And that's it. And I'd like to highlight something. Despite what is out there in the current popular media, there is no evidence in the scientific literature that coffee causes cancer. There's no evidence in the good, well-conducted, recent research that coffee causes high blood pressure or stroke or heart attacks. So I thank you all so, so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast and supporting this podcast. All of you, your support, your encouragement really means the world to me. And I love you guys. Take care, everybody, and I will see you all next week.